I typically have a series of notes that I've jotted down so that I can weave stories or ideas for you guys. I'll be sitting somewhere or I'll be driving somewhere and in my head I'll be looking at the atmosphere or the situation that I am in and I process it in such a way that I think there's a narrative here. There's something that I would like to convey to my listeners and so as soon as I can and as soon as it's safe I'll pull over or, um, and, and I'll pull up my phone app uh, on my on my device, and I'll start jotting down these little bullet points. And thats it's a very stream of consciousness sort of thing. I just start jotting them down. And what I hope they'll turn into, or if I'm here at home, I'll just you know write them down on my little sketchbook. What I hope that they'll turn into is these starting points for tangents that eventually, in the totality of the 30 minutes, 40 minutes, hours that I record, that I'll be able to take all of these little threads and weave them back together into a tapestry that makes sense for you all. That has been the way that I've been developing this podcast um, because it's how my mind better processes. Now, I know it's not perfect. I have received feedback via either messages on the podcasting app that I use, Anchor, or on Twitter, or even some on Instagram, of people have said, you know, we like and enjoy what you're doing, but there are some times when you lose what it is that you're trying to say and or you start off a thought and you never complete it. And that is infuriating because we like to follow you, but when you don't cap it off or you don't give us a resolution because you forget, that makes it so that I had, now I have to send you an email or I have to send you a note and ask you and inquire you about it. And if I'm having that thought, then others are having that thought. And that's a very good point. I am doing my very best to tighten things up. But there are some times when I just got to talk because something's happened and I don't have the ability to jot down my notes like I typically do. And this is one of those mornings. This is a shortened week, and a lot has to happen within the next four days until the weekend comes. We had Labor Day here in America, uh, which was wonderful and terrific, and we had a great time. But now we are getting back into the work week, and I have clients that I need to keep up with. Uh, kids are back to school. We have open houses later in the day, I mean, in, in the week. Uh, my wife is holding, uh, hosting a bunco party here on Friday, and I'm responsible for feeding about 12 ladies that are going to be coming over and their guests. And so I'm thinking of what it is that I'm going to prepare, uh, and I have a bit of a budget to do it with. So I'm kind of concerned about that. And it's you know, it, talk about notes that I'm jotting down. I mean, I'm looking for all sorts of ser- uh, re- good recipes that are not, you know, that are cost effective. So if anybody ha- out there has one, by all means, share it. And I'm not stingy. If it's really, really good and you're close, I'll drive out to you and give you a taste because I think, because uh, I, I lo- you know, I like to share my food. Anybody who's followed me on the Instagram um, knows that I love my food and, and that I love making it and I love sharing it. Uh, and uh, I can't tell you how many times during the week I will get messages from friends that say, hey, can I have the recipe for that? Or how did you come up with that? And one day I'll talk about it at uh, at length. 
But today, I just happened to, again, you know, we started to get ready for the week. The kids have been dropped off at school. I'm dressed, getting ready to go to office meeting on Tuesday like we have uh, the real estate place where I hold my license at. And just before I'm about to pick up the keys, I do a last second scroll of the Facebook and something is posted on my my old fraternity house page. And I know that if I, that I don't have enough time to read it, but uh, I can't help myself. And I think a big part of it is that over the course of the last six months, I've reconnected with an old college friend, an old fraternity brother on Instagram. And I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but he came out years ago during the time that uh, we were strange or we weren't talking to one another because we were all living life outside of the you know outside of college and he'd come out and it wasn't until re- recently that we reconnect reconnected on the social platform and then we started talking about who he is who the struggles that he had back then the uh, misconceptions um that we were all living under when we were in our 20s and just trying to get to know him now as a professional, uh, somebody who is still at least, who's still seeking love um, in, in, in the challenges of finding that when you're busy and when you have aspirations and when you're traveling, when perhaps you don't, you know, you have a sense of self that you're trying to change because the weight is not what you would like it to be and all the struggles that come with that. And Although we haven't reconnect, reconnected in real life, I feel that on the social media, we've been able to have these dialogues and these conversations that have led me to believe that this is a terrific person that I wish I had not lost touch with back in the day. But no, you know, no use crying over spilled milk. Here we are, and we're friends again, and I dig that. And I think over on like Friday or, or something of last week, he had posted pictures of this one guy and they were hanging out somewhere. And you know, yesterday I had a moment or so free while everybody was playing board games um, at my sister's house where we went for Labor Day uh, dinner to, to inquire, hey, like, who is this dude? On, on your Facebook page or your Instagram page. And, and he mentioned something to the effect of the guy that he's been dating and he's been seeing. Really cute guy, too. Uh, it's not a knock on my fraternity, but it's just, you know, sometimes you are surprised by who ends up together. And I'm like, good for you, man. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, again, for anybody that's looking for love and eventually finds it, that's a wonderful thing. So... I congratulated him and, you know, we talked very briefly back and forth over the course of a few messages about, um, you know, that's, that's, that's wonderful. And, you know, he said something along the back and our back and forth. It's like, hey, you know, and I'm, I'm really happy because he's, quote unquote, he's a good man. Which my reply to him is, so are you. And you deserve this. And I hope it works out. I always, I'm always hopeful that love works out. So, but perhaps, you know, the fact that I've been reconnecting with an old college friend, an old fraternity brother, that when a post came from our old fraternity house, you know, I was hopeful that there would be some other bit of good news about some of these guys that were at one point like family to me.
we all go our separate ways. But some of these guys, as I've reconnect, reconnected, uh, you, you realize that they meant something to you, maybe more than what you thought it was, more than the party image that fraternity brothers tend to have. That these were actual young men that you were figuring, figuring out college through, and they were your support system, uh, even though you may not have wanted to consider it so back in the day. The thing is that as I started look, reading through the post, I realized very quickly that this was not a positive thing. Uh, somebody, a brother, had died. And that's always weird because I, you know, I always think, well, is it one of my contemporaries? Is it somebody that I pledged a house with or somebody that was an immediate big brother of mine? Or who had been, you know, on the premises when I was there? Did we break bread? Did we, you know, have beers together? Did we play a uh, ping pong, you know, in, in the lower room of the house? I mean, was it somebody also that I didn't care for? Because it, you know, a fraternity house is like a family, and you don't always get along with family, and you bicker and you fight, and there's rivalries, and petty arguments, and Politics aren't discussed sometimes because, you know, people come from all over the place. That's one of the great things about Cal State LA is that it's a commuter school and it draws people from all over the place. And there's a whole bunch of different opinions. And you take that, you mix it with alcohol and the testosterone of 40, 50 guys, um, horny, uh, it creates for this just, you know, you churn out all of these emotions and feelings in like this big old pot and sometimes it's great a lot of times it's not but you learn from one another uh, and yeah you can't say that you always like everybody that you know happens to share the space with you but the person who passed away was was a brother an honorary brother but actually it was a faculty advisor uh, and somebody who, I guess, after I was gone, because, I, you know, after a point I started focusing on school, uh, you know, we talked about how important my other half has been in my life and how she refocused my priorities. And so during the last few years of college, I really just didn't focus on the house anymore. I, f I started focusing on a life and a career after college. And uh, and then afterwards, afterwards, my uh, you know, I started to develop a sense for self and and what it is that I wanted to do with life, and I stopped really looking back at college times and in uh, in college institutions, and really just started making my way through uh, who eventually I would become. So you lose touch. But during you know those intervening years, uh, this uh, person had become an advisor to the house for the faculty. And but he meant a heck of a lot to me. As you guys have been hearing over the last few months, I have struggled with a lot of things over uh, over my life, and a big proportion of uh, proportion of that comes from my need, my desire to live life to its fullest. Because I always think that the shoe is going to drop, and I am not going to have enough. And so while the getting's good, I get in on it. Uh, and that has led for me to make a lot of mistakes and for me to make, take abuses on my body that I shouldn't have taken. 
uh, that I'm now at 40, I'm starting to feel the repercussions of all that. But that's not the point of all this. The point is that during those years, uh, you know, you feel invincible and you do everything that you can because you feel that you can. And oftentimes there's very little repercussions unless you get into the really, really heavy stuff. And so for me, since it was just beers and, you know, and shots, it it wasn't like I was dying. <laughs> but whenever you do party too much, whenever you're out super late at night, something's got to give. And for me, it was my studies. And that's sad from the standpoint of that, yes, even though I was a very irresponsible 20-something, um, education and knowledge has always been paramount to me. It's, I've always had a passion for learning. I've always had a desire to uh, inquire about something new and then do my very best to try to get my grips on it as possible. And it's not for the sake of a degree or a goal. It's just for the sake of knowledge. I enjoy knowing things. And I also enjoy passing them on to other people. Perhaps that's the reason why I do this podcast is because I think I have gathered all of this uh, in my head and for whatever it's worth, I want to pass it on to my kids and to people. And I, and I don't want to go this acquired know-how to go nowhere. I think that as, as, uh, as responsible members of our society, we have a responsibility to pass on good vetted knowledge to other people. And if we can do that, then at least we can pass on, uh, you know, vetted ideas and concepts so that perhaps brighter minds can uh, can tackle the questions that you know a simpler mind like mine have it's part of my philosophy on how i raise children i want my children to do better than i not on the monetary sense that would be great uh, i would love for my kids to have me retire in bermuda and, and and pay for it but that's not the point I just want my children to be wiser men and women than I am. Uh, uh, One of the conflicts that I've had with other men is the fact that they cast shadows uh, for their children so dark um, just because it feeds them, their, their soul or whatever it is, and they don't think that they have a responsibility, I think, to their children to make that shadow less harsh and then and, and and get some degree take some degree of humble pie and to use that shadow to slingshot their kids past and forward, you know way past them but some men and women some men just struggle in their in creating these edifices of you know grandeur to the world, and they forget that there are kids and and generations behind them that sure would love to have their attention and their focus and their aid so that more can be accomplished later down the line. I don't know. Let's talk about getting lost in the tangent, right? So I have enjoyed education. I've enjoyed learning for the sake of learning, but because I was yeah, being a party boy and a pretty boy and, you know, attach whatever to it and falling in love and, 
you know, finding out about who I was and fumbling through all of that, I started to get away from my studies. And I, you know, at one point I, you know, uh, I was within a semester or two of being kicked out of school. It got that bad. My grades got that bad. One day we were getting out of a uh, out of a class late in the evening, and this professor who was really really cool. I hope I don't get him in trouble. Then again, what are they going to do with him? Uh, it, it was finals week, and he took a whole bunch of us to a little pizza place uh, right off the Cal State Lake uh, campus called Garfano's, and they used to sell really good pizza and relatively cheap beer. And for hours after class we went out there in this very bohemian way of a bunch of kids in the class and this professor and we had pizza and we drank beer and we philosophized about you know the world as we saw it and sociology as a uh, sociology as uh, you know a field of study and and all of these you know things that were in our head and in and, and, and and how we were going to make the world better. I mean, very Dickensian, at least that's the way I see it after several beers. A very Dickensian, like, yes, we're going to take on the world and we're going to change it. And, uh, you know, uh, we are the next generation. We're going to make it happen. We're Gen X. As closing time came, clo- you know, it came about... Uh, it was obvious that I wasn't going to be able to drive home. And I didn't live too far away from campus at that point, maybe about 10, 15 minutes away in East L.A. Uh, but I, there was no, you know, I wasn't driving. And, and this professor asked me if he could, if it would be all right for me to take me home and drop me off because I was in no condition to go anywhere. And I guess always acquiescing to a father figure slash authority figure, I said, sure, and, um, but my head was swimming, I was in, and, and I was full of pizza, <laughs> and so he drove me up, you know, our, the, the, all the different hills that it took to get up to where we used to live on at the time on Eastman Avenue, and I knew about seven minutes into the 15-minute drive, then my stomach was not going to be okay. And all the while, I think I remember him talking about me, myself making better decisions and, you know, the fact that, you know, that I needed to be a little bit more responsible, that he had seen me in class, uh, you know, falling asleep halfway through and that he was hoping that I would do better the next semester, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and all the while, I'm trying to hold it together. And I would like to say that I did and I left this car without incident, but the truth is that I did not. I vomited all over his front seat. Yeah, that happened. Uh, he dropped me off. I went to sleep. And because of the way the quarter system was, I didn't see him for some time. Uh, but the next time that I did uh, on campus, obviously I sheepishly went over and apologized as best as I could and uh, just mortified. Uh, because he's somebody that I respected because of what happened, because my assumptions of what he had to do to clean up his car afterwards. I mean, I wouldn't have blamed this guy if he never wanted to talk to me again. I mean, geez, what a mess I was. But he didn't. He was kind. 
and he was curt to some degree, and I and I deserved it. But he, but there was a lot of kindness in his words, and and eventually, once we got past the admonitions of, you know, you really need to think about what you're doing, Hugo. Um, kindness, concern, uh, took over. And I got a sense that, hey, this guy just wants the best for me. And I really need to start taking stock of what it is that I'm doing here because I I can't be pulling that shit, you know, on out. Obviously, I'm not the, the best learner, but um, I knew then that I, I needed to make some changes and that I eventually I would because all of this would, you know, the, the, the bill comes due. I wasn't done with it all. Uh, because when you're having a great time and you're partying and you have people around you that want to party, uh, it's hard to let go. And so for about another semester, I went about, I didn't have them for a class, but I would go on and, and just, you know, hang out and stay up too late and do the usual uh, shenanigans that I was involved with. Um, but at the end of that next semester, I got a letter talking about, academic probation and the possibility of getting kicked out of school. And I got scared. Because remember, as I've told you guys before, the home front, my parents, they were very, very peculiar about, um, or, or they were very prickly about the fact that I had left home to some degree to uh, you know, pursue this college thing. It's not that they wanted me to get a higher education. They were just um, concerned that in getting one, I would leave them behind or or that I would shed the Mexican values that were so important to them. Already we had had major conflicts and fights over religion. Um, we were having these discussions about me becoming Americanized and, and, and the fact that a lot, some of that was bringing shame to the family. They were aware that there was a girl in the picture and that this girl wasn't Mexican and didn't speak our language and was you know, better off than we were and that I would leave to go pursue some kind of foolish girl that really, you know, didn't have anything better in mind which uh, other than to get pregnant because my parents always believed that girls got pregnant to uh, capture guys. Um, so, you know, and the fraternity thing obviously was not something that they were keen on considering the fact that I was showing up home drunk and, you know, obviously sleeping up way too late and something, you know, not doing the things that I was typically responsible in the house. So they were seeing this, you know, this atmosphere that I'm in and they didn't think that it was healthy. And to some degree they were right. It wasn't healthy. But they were just hoping for anything that they, you know, for just something, anything that they could hold against me. And getting kicked out of school was certainly, you know, putting a big, you know, tool in their toolbox that they could later use to say, hey, we told you this whole college thing wasn't for you. Why don't you settle down, get a job like you're supposed to do? Getting that letter sucked. And like I typically do, I sobered up as quickly as possible and I started to look around my resources. What can I do? Who do I talk to? It wasn't a matter of getting my grades up. It, it had gotten to, to you know, to, it, it had gotten that bad. Um, it wasn't like, oh, give me two semesters and I'll make up for it. No, um, it was like 
something needs to change, something somebody needs to intervene. Uh, we need to understand why this college should keep you about. And you know, I'm scrappy when I have to be. I put my tail between my legs and I head it over to see this professor and I ask for a recommendation. Because the way that I saw in the paper or the way the research that I did on campus was that if you had somebody uh, high enough in your department to write or to advocate on your behalf that you had a better shot at impressing whoever made the decision and they would maybe stave off execution. So I did. I went to his, uh, to his office and we had a long conversation and a talk and he gave me a list of requirements that he would have. And it's interesting because the requirements that he had, they weren't anything that he could hold me to. It was a plan of action. It was a literal, you know, bullet points of these things are things that I need to see you do if you're going to get me to jot down a paper on your behalf. But, you know, my back was against the wall and I wasn't smart enough to realize that. And it was better for me that I didn't, wasn't smart enough to realize that he couldn't hold me to these things. And so I agreed to his terms. He wrote a wonderful letter on my behalf which did the trick and I was able to stay in college and afterwards I, I can't tell you that I was perfect but it I, I, it changed course it got better you know I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson talk to Joe Rogan on his their podcast and they were talking about uh, if we find a earth destroying uh, you know asteroid out there that if we locate it with enough time that we could send out a probe or we could send out something to space to give it a nudge to just push it a little bit. It doesn't take a lot, but that if we can change its angle just by the smallest, uh, by the smallest bit, that over the distances of space and time that that little angle will grow to such a large one that it will miss the earth altogether. I think that's what happened to me. That letter wasn't a little nudge, it was a pretty big nudge, but it was, it was impactful from the standpoint that it got me a way to... I was never into heavy anything super heavy, so I can't say like ultimate doom. But it, let, but it started to push me away from a life of no consequence into a life of one where I started to take ownership of the things that I did. And, and I think that's maturity. When you realize, I am going to make a decision, there's going to be consequences that are based off on that, and I'm okay with that. Versus, I'm going to make a decision, and who the fuck knows what will happen? But it is what it is. I take pride in being the kind of person now that makes the call or makes the decision in that whatever comes, I will deal with it, but I'm okay with the consequences, what they, whatever they mean, because I'm the person who made the call. Back when I was managing real estate, sometimes you have to decide for your group, for your broker, for your business or whatever, and take a course of action. And that doesn't mean that people are going to agree with you 
or that you're not going to get sued or that you're not going to get yelled at or that things are not going to close on time. There's a thousand things that you know can occur. And I see that a lot of young professionals don't make a decision because they're trying to acquire all the data, all the knowledge. Um, and sometimes you got to go with the education that you have, with your gun instinct, make the call and let what come, come. And I believe that my ability now to do that stems from that little letter that was written for me once upon a time. That was the course correction. That was the changing of the angle for me that has led me to be who the person that I am today. Now, if we all look back in our life, I'm sure we can find all sorts of different things like that, but th that's why they're called watershed moments, right? Because you attribute to them, you know, so much. In this letter that was written by this man is one of those watersheds in my life. And the person that penned it passed away. And I found about it this morning while looking through the Facebook. I didn't intend to talk for 30 minutes about this. I really meant it to be a very a quick in memoriam. Um, and I didn't think it would be very, very good because, well, I didn't have an outline. But I guess this professor didn't have an outline either for the relationship that he would have with me, as brief as it was. And yet he was still able to course correct, or at least change the course for somebody who he, I guess, acknowledged had innate talents and, and the willingness to learn and the possibility for maturity. I mourn him, and although we had not been in touch for a very long time, I miss the conversations that we did have back in college. I wish, of course, that I had stayed in contact, but you know, students have to move on, right? In any case, uh, in any case, to end this, I'll say the following. Professors, teachers are some of the most impacting individuals to our society and we don't give them the weight and the respect that they deserve. Myself included sometimes. I get lost in the minutia of politics and whatnot. But this one guy Today, from me, he gets all the credit in the world. Thank you. Peace.